Well, hello. I thought I'd share my favorite sutra, the Lanka Bhattara. Uh, I was reminded of it. I know I've talked a lot about it, but I was reminded of it because I was listening to the, uh, well, Shantideva's uh, Bodhi Avatara. Uh, Bodhi Acharya Avatara. My apologies. Uh, and it reminded me of some of these teachings. And hopefully something simple. So I thought I'd actually read, it's from chapter 2, it's uh, later in chapter uh, 6, or section 6 in chapter 2. This is part of Mahamati's questions. And so I'm actually going to show um, a bunch of different uh, concepts in Buddhism and maybe even try to uh, connect uh, these strings uh, and just give some insight. And you probably even see why I really appreciate the Lankavatara. So, I open up, and I quote, But there are other monks and priests, Mahamati, this is Buddha speaking to Mahamati, who see things as devoid of self-existence, as clouds in the sky, or wheels of fire, or cities of Gandharvas, and are as not arising, as illusions or mirages or dreams or moonlight on water. And regardless of whether they appear to be inside or outside the mind, as projections from the beginningless past and is not existing apart from one's own mind. And when the causes of such projections cease and the repository consciousness becomes free from projections of a body, its possessions and the world around it, and from what speaks and what is spoken, and from what sees and what is seen, they accordingly see what grasps and what is grasped as no longer interacting in the realm of consciousness and whatever the mind gives rise to as existing in a projection-free realm devoid of origination, duration, and cessation. So, end quote. Uh, that paragraph, uh, essentially, is just talking about um, the, uh, well, the Alaya Vijnana, right? Understanding that uh, all of these uh, preferences are just... Uh, uh, a storehouse of your experience and, and your own uh, biases. But it's also talking about uh, citta matra in Yogacara, this idea that uh, consciousness uh, and existence are both mind-born because they're perceived uh, and interpreted within the mind. So I'm going to go on to another paragraph. Mahamati, such bodhisattvas soon realize the identity of samsara. And I really like how uh, Red Pine translates samsara. He says the term is often used in Sanskrit as the opposite pair to nirvana. Although usually understood to mean birth and death, it means wandering, as in wandering through birth and death. And I would like to put a little deeper understanding of this, since nirvana is to snuff, as in snuff out a candle, blow out a candle, the opposite being samsara, this idea of bringing uh, more uh, life, or that chitti vritti nirona that I mentioned, this um, fluctuations of the mind. So again, I'll start over. Mahamati, such bodhisattvas, uh, soon realize the identity of samsara and nirvana. With effortless compassion and skillful means, they view the realms of all beings as illusions and not subject to causation transcending internal and external realms and seeing nothing outside the mind. They accordingly proceed from one stage to the next in samadhi, uh, in samadhis that are free from appearances. And upon examining the three realms and finding them illusory, they attain the samadhi of the illusory. Uh, and it would be officially the illusory body. And the note uh, says that specific, the maya upama samadhi. Uh, this is the samadhi in which one acquires an illusory body, hence the name. And so I continue on. And once the perceptions of their own mind are free of projections, they're able to dwell in the perfection of wisdom and to let go of their life and their practice and to enter the diamond samadhi that accompanies a tathagata's body and that accompanies the transformation of suchness. Thus endowed with higher powers and masteries as well as compassion and skillful means, they enter the sanctuaries of other paths in every Buddha land, and transcending the mind, the will, 
and conceptual consciousness, these bodhisattvas gradually transform their body into the body of a tathagata. Uh, and the note for that is uh, Te Ching uh, notes that changing one's understanding is immediate, changing one's behavior takes longer. Uh, so you can understand that um, uh, within this paragraph alone, what we have is, of course, skillful means of paya, compassion, karuna, uh, this idea of, of compassion to oneself and, and uh, skillful means. Later in this chapter, it talks about that uh, all of this must be tailored to the individual. But you're actually going to get an understanding here of two main things. This is a not often discussed um, theory in Buddhism, not theory, but a, an understanding uh, of the um, alaya vijnana, this perfected consciousness, right? Because when he says he enters the diamond samadhi, that accompanies a tathagata's body. So his mind is perfected. Um, amala, right? Amala. I may have misspoken, said Alaya, but Amala Vijnana is this perfected consciousness, right? Uh, thus endowed with higher powers and masteries as well as compassion and skillful means, right? Once you've been able to understand that the self is a construct as well as all of your experience is mind-born, as it says here, it's easy to understand. It's much harder to actually achieve. So it's just explaining here. Uh, you enter the sanctuaries of other paths, uh, transcending the mind, the will, and conceptual consciousness. Right. So here is the mind, physical, manas, or mano, depending. Uh, the will, the self, right? Uh, citta, in a sense and the conceptual consciousness. Uh, that's your sixth, seventh, uh, and eighth consciousness. Uh, so the sixth consciousness is the conceptual consciousness that understands uh, or actually interprets uh, sight, sound, all of these different sensory... Uh, um, uh, well, they're actually consciousness as well, right? Uh, nose consciousness, ear consciousness. Um, the will being uh, this idea of... Uh, what uh, drives these senses and the perception of such, right? And finally, of course, uh, you have uh, the mind and will, uh, your, your higher consciousness, your eighth consciousness. So it goes on and says, Therefore, Mahamadi, those who seek the body that accompanies a tathagata should avoid the fabricated projections of origination, duration, or cessation regarding the skandhas, the dattus, the ayatanas, consciousness, causation, or forms of practice. And the note on that says, um, uh, the Buddha rejects focusing on the study of dharmas, or at least viewed as a subject to causation. Uh, this is because anything that might be subject to causation uh, and that thus exists in time does not, in fact, exist except as an illusory concept. Right? So this is just the idea of, uh, again, that understanding yet not actually achieving as of yet. And the next section, which is actually where I began um, when I went back to the Lanka here. Uh, again, I was actually... Uh, reviewing Mantra 6 from the Isha Upanishads, which is actually saying the same sort of thing, the idea of once you see uh, yourself and other creatures and, and other creatures in yourself. But back to, uh, back to uh, the Lankavatara, uh, chapter 2, this is um, section 8. And it opens with a note saying that this uh, actually summarizes and concludes the foregoing sections. That's why I, I read a, a little bit before, just so you can get an idea of what we're talking about here. And so it opens with, Who sees that the habit energy of projections of the beginningless past is the cause of the three realms, and who understands that the Tathagata stage is free from projections, or anything that arises, attains the personal realization of Buddha knowledge and effortlessly mastery effortless mastery over their own minds. And like gems capable of reflecting every color, they enter the subtlest thoughts of other beings and in their apparition bodies teach them nothing but mind while establishing them in the sequence of stages. Therefore, Mahamati, you should devote yourself to the cultivation of personal attainment. Right? I like that because, uh, I mean, almost all of my notes lately have been directed exactly this. This idea of uh, trying to achieve uh, supra-normal uh, uh, status. And it goes on to uh, nine. 
This is uh, section 9 of chapter 2 of the Lankavatara Sutra. Uh, and the note actually mentions uh, in this section, uh, the Buddha briefly explains how consciousness works and then points out that it can only be transcended, transcended by realizing that consciousness itself is a self-fabricated fiction. That's that alaya vijnana, that storehouse consciousness that I mentioned. He says, um, uh, Red Pine goes on and says, Such a teaching, however, is not something everyone is prepared to hear. Hence the Buddha, uh, Buddhas vary their teachings to suit the audience. That's upaya, uh, but more importantly, that's the quote that I often uh, share from Churyi, uh, a great uh, Chan master, uh, uh, Tian Tai uh, patriarch who said that uh, sentient beings are numberless, as are the doorways to entry, uh, the Dharma of Nirvana. Right? It's this idea that uh, everyone needs to uh, discover their own uh, skillful means to achieve not just an understanding, uh, not just a practice even, uh, but hopefully, uh, well, not hopefully, but uh, to endeavor to uh, manifest uh, this destiny, if I can steal uh, a turn of the phrase, and to um, uh, to will oneself to achieve this uh, this perfection stage, the Amala uh, consciousness. And so I go on and say, at this time, Mahavati, Mahamati Bodhisattva said, uh, may the Bhagavan teach us about the characteristics of the mind, the will and conceptual consciousness. Right, And here it says, uh, as... Uh, elsewhere in this sutra, mind, chitta, means to gather and refers to the eighth consciousness where karmic seeds generated by the other seven are stored and manifested. Will, manas, means to reason, reflect, consider, uh, and refers to our seventh consciousness. The, and the conceptual consciousness, mano, vijnana, uh, means uh, uh, consciousness of the mind and refers to the sixth consciousness which conceptualizes uh, conceptualizes the, f the five forms of sensory consciousness. So that's actually what I said earlier, uh, this idea that we have the mind, uh, which is citta, uh, the eighth consciousness, the seventh consciousness, will, which is manas, um, and uh, the uh, sixth consciousness, which is the conceptual consciousness, manno vijnana, uh, and that's the consciousness that's uh, um, an intermediary or uh, the subject to the senses, as it were. So I continue on and say, the five dharmas and the modes of reality cultivated by Buddhas and Bodhisattvas that differ from the external realms perceived by our mind. And may the Tathagata uh, reveal all the teachings marked by suchness that comprise the heart of the words of every Buddha. Uh, I just want to step back and mention, remember, suchness is this idea of existence. Uh, it would be Atman in other traditions, uh, soul, being, uh, you know, self, but uh, talking about the self, especially when you're talking about not-self or anatta, this idea of the self being a construct, it becomes problematic if you want to start talking about a soul. Uh, so they don't say atman, they say suchness. So it's your existence, your being, your collection of energy, as it were. Uh, let's see here. And it goes on and says, And may he explain for the great bodhisattvas gathered here on Mount Malaya, uh, in the island kingdom of Lanka, the ocean and waves of repository consciousness, and the realm of the Dharma body, praised by the Tathagatas. So that's a little weird, but uh, the Dharma body has no attributes, but also does not have no attributes. Uh, because it has no attributes, uh, it is the nature of such, suchness. Because it does not have no attributes, it is the waves of our repository consciousness. Okay? Terrible. The translation's tough. You've got to remember Red Pine is comparing three or four Chinese translations and, and, a, and one or two Sanskrit translations. Uh, but just to unpack this, it's just an attempt to make you understand. This is the, the Chattiscoti I've talked about, right? Um, if, if there is no cause and effect that you can directly connect, you can't know for sure about anything. So that's why it might be this, it might be that, it might be both, it might be none of the above. This is where the Chattiscoti comes in, uh, and I think this is just an attempt to explain it in a weird way. So I'm just going to go on from that. We can always talk about it another time. 
The Bhagavan told Mahamati that uh, there are four causes that result in the functioning of visual consciousness. And what are these four? Their lack of awareness that what is grasped is a perception of one's own mind, attachment to the habit energy of erroneous fabrications, fabrications of the beginningless past, the existence of consciousness, and the desire to see multiplicity of forms. So Mahamati, these are the four causes that give rise to the waves of consciousness in the ever-rolling sea of repository consciousness. Uh, so the note, uh, this differs from the usual list, which includes the power of sensation, the domain of sensation, the consciousness that arise from their conjunction, and the desire for sensation. It's not that different. Um, just to go back through here, uh, he says, the visual form, consciousness arises together with the minutest sensory objects and sensory material of the various sense organs. So that's this idea that uh, the sixth consciousness that perceives the sensory world and our sensory um, tools, our eyes and our ears and such, from that perceive objects and concepts, thereby giving birth to our concept of the noumenal world, uh, the conventional world. Next, it says, uh, it arises external realms as well, like so many images in a clear mirror or like the ocean with a strong wind blows. Well, I explained that, the idea that these um, uh, sense, the sensory material and our sensory objects give rise to uh, external realms. And as the wind of externality stirs the sea of the mind, its waves of consciousness never cease. This is beautiful, but... Um, not as beautiful as in the original Sanskrit. So the note here is two metaphors are distinguished, distinguished with images in the mirror representing a static view of consciousness and the ocean and waves representing a dynamic view. In the metaphor of the oceans and waves, the water represents repository consciousness. That's the alaya vijnana or the storehouse consciousness we've talked about. The movement of water represents the will or the self-consciousness. That's the uh, um, uh, manas Manas, uh, Vijnana. Uh, the waves represent conceptual consciousness, right? That's Manno, Vijnana. And the wind is that of externality, right? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's that one sentence right here. And the wind of externality stirs the sea of the mind. Its waves of consciousness never cease. That's Chitta Vritti Naroda. Right? That's uh, the uh, consciousness uh, flapping about like a flag in the wind. Cease that stuff. Cease it. And so there's why I uh, translate um, Chitta Vritti Naroda the way I do, particularly uh, Vritti, this idea of uh, flapping of a, of a flag, because, it, you know, arguably the Lanka is one of the very first uh, texts that gave rise to. Uh, to the philosophy of non-duality, at least in this idea of a, of a chitta-matra, a mind-only school. Uh, and I go on. Um, okay, so, where there is any difference or not among the characteristics of causes and effects is due to a deep attachment to what arises from karma. Again, karma being results of action. Because people cannot, and I continue on, I apologize. Uh, because people cannot understand the nature of such things as form, the five kinds of sensory consciousness function, I've mentioned that, the first five consciousness uh, are actually the eyes, ears, nose, and taste. And I continue on. And due to the differentiation of appearances, Mahamati, you should know that these five kinds of sensory consciousness serve as the cause of conceptual consciousness. I actually explained that already, didn't I? The idea that um, the, the mano consciousness or your sixth consciousness is born because of the, uh, the need of it, uh, because of your senses. And same can be said about the seventh consciousness, right? Because you need something to guide these senses and interact with the eighth consciousness, right? Which is uh, this uh, repository consciousness. But more importantly, um, the charioteer of this uh, wild ride in samsara that we all uh, bandy about. And I go on. As they function, they do not think that they are the cause of changes in appearances, which change as a result of attachment to projections that are perception of one's own mind, right? This is the mind-only school. So because you feel that uh, things go on in the world separate from your experiences or your perceptions, um, you're subject uh, to externality and your perceptions. Instead of understanding that both uh, uh, your attachment 
the projections and the perceptions are all born of one's own mind. And I'll continue on. And as every appearance changes and disappears, the different realms that are distinguished themselves change. And the note for this says it's a difficult paragraph in any language, and all three Chinese translations differ quite a bit, as does the Sanskrit. He's followed uh, Gunabhadra. He says he thinks. And so I made a note that I wanted to actually explain this. Where is it here? Yep, uh, page 174. Uh, so let's just start over. Uh, and as every appearance is... I apologize. And as every appearance changes and disappears, the different realms that are distinguished themselves change. It's easier to understand if you go back to the previous, right? Where he says uh, the differentiations of appearances. You should know that these five kinds of sensory consciousness serves as the cause of consciousness. But as they function, they do not think that they are the cause of changes in appearances, which change as a result of attachment to projections that are perceptions of one's own mind. So if we go back and read that final sentence, and as every appearance changes and disappears, that's the first half. So as you perceive things in a more authentic way, the appearance changes and perceptions, projections disappear. So it's clear. And as every appearance changes and disappears, this is understanding uh, moving into practice. Uh, the uh, final part of that sentence is the different realms that are distinguished themselves change, right? Our perception of not just um, sensory uh, experience, uh, but our uh, Interaction with uh, the noumenal world changes. Uh, so I think it's a pretty clear sentence. I'm surprised. And so I go on. Those practitioners who enter dhyana or samadhi, but who remain unaware of the changes of the subtler forms of habit energy, think they enter dhyana or samadhi only after consciousness ceases. But in fact, their consciousness does not cease when they enter samadhi. It doesn't cease because the seeds of habit energy are not destroyed. Until you empty bija, those are those seeds in Sanskrit, until you empty that storehouse, the alaya vijnana, of all those bija, uh, you go into samadhi uh, with that storehouse. Now you cannot attach. This is the teaching. Uh, you don't necessarily empty a storehouse, but what you do is you cease to attach to it. So it's a little confusing in this um, particular, but it does explain it. Right? So I'll start from the middle again and say, but in fact their consciousness does not cease when they enter samadhi. It doesn't cease because the seeds of habit energy are not destroyed. It ceases when they no longer grasp changes among objective realms. Now this happens to be one of my favorite sentences because it's speaking to the previous, but it's also teaching, teaching independent of the sentence. So the sentence itself, as it relates to the paragraph, it ceases when they no longer grasp changes among objective realms, right? Objective realms are any of these things that we've talked about, sensory, um, uh, perceptions, projections, even one's own mind. So again, when you no longer grasp to any of these fluctuations, these vritti, either your preferences uh, or otherwise, um, that's when uh, this idea of consciousness ceases. Uh, and actually, that's what's important about mentioning dhyana or samadhi, right? So dhyana being mind training, but also a state of cessation. The first dhyana is when you let go of your attachment to the physical uh, somatic experience. The second uh, dhyana uh, is um, uh, managing your vedana, your, uh, your perceptions, your, uh, your um, uh, feelings, volition, right? So it, uh, it uh, doesn't cease because the seeds of habit energy are not destroyed. Again, this is, is interesting, right? Because you don't destroy these seeds of habit energy. You just cease to cling to them, cease to attach to them, cease to subscribe to said self, and what you actually do is when you cease to grasp, not just of changes, 
but more importantly, to anything. And as I said, this sentence is teaching in and of itself because uh, it ceases when they no longer grasp. That alone could be, right? Everything ceases. All of our perceptions and our biases, as well as our illusions, maya, cease when we no longer grasp. But it says we no longer grasp changes among objective realms, right? Because the consciousness doesn't cease by sitting on a cushion. If you can achieve the second or third or even fourth jhana, uh, what they tend to uh, warn us is the third jhana is the experience of equanimity, right? So it's an experience of not-self, but it's not a resonant experience. Even the fourth jhana is not a resonant experience in the sense that you can get into this experience of not-self. So you can arguably achieve, I hate saying achieve, because what you're doing is, is actually not attaching to the alaya vijnana or your um, rep repository consciousness, and thereby um, you're using the amala vijnana, that perfected consciousness. Right? So achieve, you've achieved success in not attaching to your previous uh, uh, biases, if it were, but um, it's not like you've given birth to your perfected consciousness because that perfected consciousness was always there, if you get what I mean. Right? So I'll go on and say uh, Mahmati, except for Tathagatas, uh, sorry, again, uh, Tathagata as uh, one who knows, or one who, yeah, and those well, Okay, sorry. Except for Tathagatas and those well along the Bodhisattva path, the full extent of the subtlety of the repository consciousness remain, remains completely beyond the ken of Shravakas, Pratyeka Buddhas, and practitioners of other paths, despite their powers of meditation and wisdom. Likewise, how to distinguish the characteristics of the remaining stages, or the meaning of words without wisdom and skillful means, or how to bring to maturity the limitless good roots planted by Buddhas, or how to get free from the projections and fabrications that are perceptions of their own mind. You'll actually love this because it builds upon that last sentence. So uh, the teaching that is resident within that last sentence, that it ceases when, they, when you no longer grasp changes among objective realms, it's reminding us that... Um, uh, meditation, mindfulness, is something that we carry with us throughout the day. There is no separation between cushion work and uh, and lay people work or, or walking around. So what he's teaching here is what I mentioned about the different stages of jhana, right? Despite their, all their powers of meditation and wisdom, right? The pratyeka buddhas, uh, soul practitioner shravakas, which are... Uh, um, They've made their way a certain uh, certain distance along the path, but again, uh, because of different uh, hindrances, uh, they haven't achieved uh, full fruition, as we may say. Uh, the teaching here is you need to carry that uh, with you everywhere, constant, right? And so I'll go on. Mahamati, those who dwell among mountains and forests, regardless of whether they cultivate lesser, normal, or greater practices, if they are able to see how projections flow from their minds, they will have their foreheads anointed by Buddhas from countless lands. Right? Uh, and as they attain masteries, psychic faculties, higher powers and samadhis, they will be surrounded by bodhisattvas and spiritual friends. And because of this, they will transcend the sea of birth and death, karma, desire, and ignorance, and the mistaken conceptions concerning the realms of self-existence of the mind, the will, and conceptual consciousness that are perceptions of their own mind. That is why Mahamati practitioners should draw near to the Buddhas and spiritual friends. So it ends by uh, reminding us how important uh, the Sangha is, which is the uh, collective of like-minded individuals. Because it is amongst the most difficult things to do, as the Buddha said, is to achieve a certain amount of skill and yet still uh, walk around uh, in this world because you risk uh, the attainments you've already achieved, right? So again, 
reminding us that meditation is not simply something done on a cushion. It is something we are meant to carry with us always. Now, the cushion's important. It teaches us, um, it's like uh, baby steps. It's, uh, you know, kindergarten uh, for, for meditation. And once you can master it on the cushion, you need to, uh, to bring that mastery to all um, objective realms. So I go on. The Bhagavan then repeated the meaning of this in verse. Uh, I'm reading it because it actually has some additional uh, insights in it. Uh, so, just like waves in a boundless sea, blown by a powerful wind, breakers in a black expanse, they never cease for a moment. Right? So, talking about these uh, you know, mistaken conceptions realms of self-existence of the mind, uh, conceptual consciousness, the will, perceptions of one, one's, own, one's own mind. So that was line one. Line two, in the ocean of Alaya, remember what I said, that Alaya is that storehouse. In the ocean of the self could be what we translate it as in the ocean of our, my attachment to my preferences in my past. So in the ocean of Alaya, stirred by the wind of externality, blown about like uh, leaves, in the wind. I'm sorry, uh, that was me. Uh, so I'll start over. This quote. <laughs> Line two. In the ocean of Alaya, stirred by the wind of externality, wave after wave of consciousness breaks and swells again. Here we can see the teaching of water. Right? Water can flow and it can crash. Be like water. Line three. Blue and red in every color. Milk and sugar and conch shells, different shades of white fragrances and fruits and flowers, the sun and the moon and the light, like ocean and its waves, are neither separate nor not separate. Seven forms of consciousness rise together with the mind. I like this here. Note is uh, elsewhere the word of mind is used. It's the eighth or the alaya consciousness, right? So it's this chitta, uh, more important alaya uh, vijnana is this idea that when a well, it's, it's actually a progression. So when you see something, you have your, your eye consciousness, your eye chitta comes up. And then your sixth consciousness, the mono consciousness is called, oh, so there was something to see. The seventh consciousness, manas, goes, oh, we're seeing. How does this relate? Uh, passes it off to the eighth consciousness. That's where your perceptions get truly muddled, as it were, right? Because you see yourself uh, in relation duality. Right? There's self and other and sight and sound and meaning. and So I go on. Like the ever-changing sea gives rise to different waves. Repository consciousness gives rise to different forms. The note here says that Gunabhadra spreads this over six lines, so we don't have to worry about that. But this relates to above, this idea of uh, the citta uh, and the alaya vijnana and this uh, fluctuations. Uh, the vritti that we talked about earlier, right? And it goes on and says, mind, will, and consciousness. These refer to different forms, but forms devoid of differences. No seer or thing seen. I love that, right? Because again, uh, just a note about... Uh, the, the, uh, he mentions in the note that this is focusing... One translation focuses on conceptual consciousness. So I like what he's done with this translation. Right? Because when he breaks down mind, will, and consciousness, again, six, seven, and eight of the consciousness, right, refers to different forms, but they're all together. The same as the ocean, right? The ocean and waves, they are two separate things, but they aren't separate from each other. I love that idea, right? So I move on, and it reminds, as with the ocean and its waves, as with... Uh, as the ocean and its waves cannot be divided, the mind and the forms of consciousness cannot be separated. The mind is what gathers karma. And the note here, um, no, it's just saying it's, uh, it's, uh, a, it's a similar uh, sentence to another section. The mind is what gathers karma. Uh, the will considers what is gathered. The forms of consciousness are conscious of five apparent worlds. Right? So, the mind is what gathers karma, right? So it's cause and effect, and it's the mind that reaps the, well, the benefit or the hindrance. The will considers what is gathered. The will not only considers what is gathered, but more importantly, this idea of, uh, of uh, meaning, right? Uh, not always correct, but, uh, you know, attaching meaning, uh, saliency. 
Uh, and the forms of consciousness are conscious, right? So they are able to be self-aware, um, but do they, like I talk about with this gestalt, do they see uh, the pieces in the pattern or they only see the pattern itself? Do Are they able to trace uh, the different consciousness, all right? From one, two, three, four, five to the sixth and understand how that transforms and influences the seventh consciousness and how essentially the eighth consciousness is just the attachment to all of the previous perceptions, uh, right? So there are no separation because they beget each other, as it were. And so I go on in Mahmati, then asked in verse, when colors such as blue and red appear in someone's consciousness and every thought is like a wave, what does all this mean? And the Bhagavan then repeat, uh, replied in verse, blue and red and other colors can't be found in any wave. We say the mind gathers karma to awaken foolish beings. But karma isn't real, thus to make their minds let go what grasps and what is grasped, I liken to waves. Their body, possessions, and the world, this is what they are conscious of. This is how their karma appears, just like surging waves. And the Mahamani Bodhisattva then asked in verse, the ocean and its waves exists. We can see them dance. Then, why then are we not aware of alaya consciousness and karma? And the note, uh, the word ye, karma, is only uh, present in Gunabhadra, given the Buddha's responses. Yeah, so he used, uh, he used uh, the karma here. right? So the ocean and its waves exist. We can see them dance. Why then are we not aware of alaya consciousness and karma? And the Bhagavan replies, For fools bereft of wisdom, alaya is likened to an ocean and karma to its waves. Through smile they understand. And Mahamadi then asked, Sunlight shines the same on beings of all classes. Since Tathagata's light, the world, to teach the truth to fools. Versed in every kind of teaching, why don't they teach the truth? To which the Buddha then replied in verse, If they taught the truth, in being's mind would be no truth. And I like that. The note, uh, the, the division of this quatrains is a little unusual, but the idea of how can there be truth if everything is, is uh, perception and... and uh, It is a little bit awkward, right? To which the Buddha replied in verse, if they taught the truth in beings' minds would be no truth. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's not as weird as you might think because if you go back up to line 15, um, it says, sunlight shines the same on beings of all classes since Tathagata's light, the world... So it's light, kind of like knowledge and wisdom, right? That's a metaphor for it's a, whatever you'd call it, a simile, right? To teach the truth to fools, right? Teeth, teach the truth, the dharma, to fools, the ignorant, the people that don't know better, right? So when it says, uh, when he asks, uh, versed in every kind of teaching, why don't they teach the truth? This is uh, the Buddhas, right? Uh, to which the Buddha replied in verse, if they taught the truth, in beings' minds would be no truth, right? If they taught them the truth, um, then they would no longer need uh, truth because they would actually uh, no longer exist, right? Uh, so this understanding of teaching, and this was said earlier, this teaching, like we teach children, right? We teach them at one level above their skill uh, level, their comfort level. So we don't discourage them, but we're always challenging them. And that's what the Buddha is getting at here. We don't want to throw it all at these people. Uh, not like me. Don't do what I do. You want to give them little tidbits uh, so you can get them there, uh, you know, little by little. And so it goes on, uh, line 17 says, Like the ocean and its waves, a dream or an image in a mirror, both appear together as do the mind and objective realms. So this is important. This is externality and internality. I don't know if that's even a word, internality. Uh, though both appear as one, we focus on the wave, not the ocean. The image, not the mirror. The dream, not the dreamer. The object, not the mind. Uh, and I've mentioned the gestalt. Uh, gestalt is just a German word meaning uh, non-duality, that there is no separation between mind and body. Uh, and this is important here. 
because this is no different. In Gestalt psychology, the idea is there's no separation between mind and body because to heal the mind, you've got to heal the body. To heal the body, you have to heal the mind. And here we're talking about there's no separation between the wave and the ocean. So it's teaching simply, don't delude yourself into thinking the wave isn't the ocean and the ocean isn't, uh, you know, what's part of the wave. The wave is, what did it say here? Uh, drawing form, well, this is the next here, so. Uh, like oceans and its waves, a dream or an image in a mirror, both appear together as do the mind in objective realms. They're all one and the same, Right? And it goes on, but objective realms are never perfect, and karma keeps arising. While consciousness is conscious, likewise the will just wills. So this is this idea that um, fools, right? This idea of teaching truth to fools. And if we taught them truth, these beings' minds, there would be no truth, right? So we have to understand that um, baby steps, as it were. Next, uh, and fivefold are appearances, except in meditation, as a master artist works and the master's students. This goes on to the next line. Drawing forms and spreading colors. I too teach like this. The colors don't contain a pattern, nor do the brush or pristine surface. This is beautiful because this is just like uh, Bruce Lee's uh, teaching in um, Enter the Dragon where he says it's like a finger pointing to the moon, right? It's not the, it's not the finger. That's It's just... It's pointing you the path, but you have to find your path. And it's interesting because in the Chinese Book of Change, I've mentioned this before, uh, this idea of a moonshot or reaching out and grasping the moon, that is the characters used in great accomplishment, Dayu. Dayu in Chinese is um, great. Uh, accomplishment uh, is uh, the accomplishment is a hand grasping a moon. And it's just trying to remind you, right? It's The finger is not the path. It's just pointing to it. So remember, uh, the colors don't contain a pattern. You're creating the pattern. Nor do the brush or the pristine surface, right? So you have to paint uh, the scene yourself. And that's what was talking about this idea of, uh, of being able to see uh, the forest for the trees, in a sense. And I go on. To please the host of beings, they render figures with this art, but teachings are unfaithful, for truth isn't in the words. I like this. Uh, he just talks about um, the word that was used in Sanskrit is to deviate. Uh, so he liked the idea of, of unfaithful, which is another one. So teachings are separate from the truth. right? Uh, teachings change and diverge. There's a couple different translations there. For me, uh, to please the host of beings, this is like I said, churyi, that uh, sentient beings are numberless. Uh, they render figures with their art, right? So we provide uh, skillful means, upaya. But teachings are unfaithful. They don't apply to everybody. For truth isn't in the words. Truth experience is in the practice, right? Putting uh, where, where the, the metal meets the meat, right? So he's reminding us uh, that you can't just study this in a book. You must practice it. And I go on. I make distinctions for beginners, for practitioners, I teach the truth, the truth they realize themselves, free from knowing and the known. This I teach the bodhisattvas, a broader view to fools, all manner of illusions. But nothing I reveal is real. Thus, my teachings are diverse, tailored to the situation. If a teaching doesn't fit, then it isn't taught. That, to me, is one of the most important lines. Thus, my teachings diverge right? Individual. Tailored to the situation for everyone uh, to each his own. If a teaching doesn't fit, then it isn't taught, right? Uh, the Buddha said that there is room in his uh, faith for uh, doubt uh, and, and even error, right? If something doesn't work for you, then, then you know, and I go on. Because each patient differs, good physicians adjust their cures. Buddhas thus teach beings according to their capacities. I mentioned that earlier. That's how we teach children. A realm without project projections, unknown to Srivakas. This is what the compassionate teach. The realm of inner realization. So that's why I mentioned that. At the very end, it reminds us that our goal is actually not nirvana. Our goal is actually uh, Amala Vijnana. 
Our goal is to achieve uh, perfected consciousness, because in that uh, we aren't um, we aren't uh, bandied about by externality or even our own uh, senses. What's important here is uh, a realm without projections is essentially shanti, peace. Why? Because you're not suffering. As we've said before, the Buddha taught a reduction in suffering first, not a liberation. Right? Because it is most difficult, of course, but you can, um, you can still live in samsara, uh, particularly, uh, in fact, jeez, uh, what is it? Is it the Bhagavad Gita or the Isha Upanishads that says that you can live a hundred years in this realm if you're un, uh, unmolested by uh, experience, right? So if you're not um, bothered, if you uh, achieve vritti naroda, if you're able to see things and experience things without letting them uh, blow you about, uh, then there is no reason to worry about uh, your existence. Arguably, the, the, the way the teaching goes is you either will have a choice in that existence. So you could uh, end your experience uh, at the end of this, uh, this uh, what would you call it, um, incarnation. You could end this experience within samsara again, because if you can uh, stay resident in this perfected, perfected consciousness, then uh, you actually will be able to achieve what's written in the, the Tibetan book of natural liberation, the Tibetan book of the dead. You can actually achieve this um, transition. So you could choose to be reborn, you can choose to not, and just become uh, essentially an energy being, but we won't get into that. Sounds a little weird. Uh, but the real truth here uh, is the teaching is to minimize the suffering. And how do we do that? By achieving um, awareness, right? Like we had talk about in Vedanta, this idea of being aware, uh, you are less, uh, you're less uh, bothered by uh, experience. So hold on here. I'm just going to see. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'll finish on 10. For today. So this is chapter 2, section 10 of the Lankavatara uh, Sutra, translated by uh, Red Pine. Uh, 10 uh, opens with a note. It says, For the Buddha, the path of understanding is not through speculation or philosophical discourse, but through personal realization, which requi requires avoiding distractions and cultivating whatever brings one closer to one's own mind. So the text says, Moreover, Mahamati, if bodhisattvas wish to understand the realm of projection in which uh, what grasped and what is grasped are nothing but perceptions of their own mind, they should avoid social intercourse and sleep and cultivate the discipline of mindfulness during the three periods of the night. And they should avoid mistaken teachings and texts as well as the characteristics of the Shiraka, Shravaka and Pratyeka Buddha pasts and become versed instead in the characteristics of the projections that are perceptions of their own mind. So it's pretty cool within this final paragraph, right? We have uh, bodhisattvas if they really want to uh, understand reality, the realm of projections, uh, in which what grasp and what is grasped, right, are attachments, uh, are nothing but perceptions of their own mind. They should avoid social intercourse. I find that funny because that's uh, the word uh, intergong that uh, Nietzsche used at the end of his prologue in Thus Spake Zarathustra. And remember, I've mentioned this before, uh, Nietzsche was heavily influenced by Yogacara uh, because of what had been translated and the philosophy shared at the time. Uh, they should avoid social intercourse and sleep and cultivate the discipline of mindfulness during the three periods of the night. So this has led to some confusion whether uh, we should be sleeping at night. I personally take that to mean uh, to avoid excess sleep, uh, avoid excess social intercourse. You can't avoid it all. You won't avoid all because, again, you want to be healthy and cultivate the discipline of mindfulness during the three periods of the night. I think this was an allusion to um, uh, dream yoga uh, and what uh, is a, a very strong practice within this uh, uh, tradition. But didn't want to get into it because that again we've talked about is for advanced practitioners because he goes on and warns about mistaken teachings and texts as well as the characteristics of a shravaka and a pratyeka buddha path uh, we've talked about this before this is a path uh, for a lone practitioner it's not something for most people 
Well, it just keeps going on from there, but I think I can leave it at that because all I wanted to share is the importance of um, uh, Buddha teaching reduction in suffering, not so much liberation. I've mentioned this many times before that mistakenly in the, in the West, we have a goal of nirvana when in reality the goal is, um, is uh, a lie of ajnana the idea of a perfected consciousness. Because with that, you can choose to be a bodhisattva or a Buddha, right? So you can go on to nirvana if you want, but arguably uh, it's much more honorable. Again, me coming from a Vajrayana sect, uh, an advanced Mahayana sect, we believe strongly in this idea or the idea of the bodhisattva uh, to um, sentient beings are numberless and I vow to liberate them, right? Uh, to understand... Uh, I mean, as I was thinking on my walk uh, today, uh, some people are different. Some people uh, have devoted their lives to the liberation of all sentient beings. Uh, and in that, uh, they achieve a deeper level of understanding of the real world, right? That equanimity. Uh, but they also uh, are able to minimize the self. So it's actually uh, an aid to practice, um, minimizing the self, uh, seeing the compassion for others. Uh, but yeah. So I cannot obviously uh, recommend the Lankavatara and particularly Red Pine's, Red Pine's translation. I find it much more, uh, much more practical and, and useful than uh, Suzuki's translation. That was very academic. Um, I honestly don't think that uh, Red Pine's translation is not academic. I just think it's much more readable. Uh, and I like the fact that he shares with you all the different translations. Uh, giving you a much deeper understanding. That's the same way that I do my uh, my readings with the Chinese Book of Chains, the Yi Jing. I use multiple translations, but not often anymore because I actually have come across uh, what's called the Complete Yi Jing uh, by a Taoist master, Alfred Huang. Uh, and I found that he adds uh, all of the... Uh, the uh, the understanding. He, he explains how they were translated in, by other authors, uh, and it gives you a deeper understanding. Con, um, I can't remember the word, uh, but it gives you a deeper understanding just like Red Pine does. He does the same for all of his translations. He tries to uh, share if his uh, perspective is a little different than others. Like I've explained uh, before, I, um, I translate uh, Nietzsche a little bit different than most people do. But again, that's, that's a personal thing. I've mentioned Balzac as well before. Uh, the French author uh, is near impossible to translate in English uh, without, <laughs> without turning a 500-page book into 1,000 pages because nearly every line, just like Nietzsche, is chock full of, uh, of content. That's the word I was looking for. But on that, I'll leave it. Uh, yeah, Lankavatara, uh, non-dualism. Uh, it's really no different than... Um, the Nietzsche's eternal return, right? Because uh, when you see good and bad, uh, object, uh, observer, no separation, right? Uh, you get a level of, uh, of understanding and intimacy with your, with your experience, right? That allows you, as it said in the Lanka, to experience everything on a different level. So on that, have a wonderful day.